0: Dead at 45? A new study suggests that career peaks can happen at any age. This is the focus group.
1: It's the savvy side of 9 to 5. Listen. Bueller. 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 Laugh. <laughs> And learn. Negotiation. This is what you do in business. This is The Focus Group with Tim Bennett. S-T-A-U-N-C-H. And John Nash. Keep your clothes looking neat and clean. We're all business. Except when we're not.
0: Welcome to the Focus Group. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host, Tim Bennett. (laughs) Happy Halloween. Find us here every Wednesday on Facebook Live or YouTube. And focusgroupradio.com is our website. Lists all our video and audio platforms. And we want to thank you for uh, downloading and listening to Unbuttoned. That's our Tuesday show. It's about 20 minutes long. We tackle three topics. And I think that we classify that as news and politics. And this show is classified as business. 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 <laughs> Doing stuff. business. So Great happy stuff. Halloween, Tim. Happy Halloween, John. My train was late today. The bridge didn't close. The bridge didn't close. <laughs> and you had
2: said that there was an issue in New Jersey transit yesterday yeah. with screwing. So hours. Hours. 60 train. Minutes about three years ago, I think it was two or three years ago, did a whole story about the infrastructure, particularly from the rail from boston to dc yeah.
0: tunnels bridges specifically we're tunneling. yeah
2: and which we do love you and the rest of the country but commerce happens here in the northeast on these on the trains uh-huh. we use trains here and we fund the thirty dollar train you take from des moines to chicago because it costs us a hundred bucks to go from trenton to, to philly to philly yeah
0: so um so anyway this the the bridge got stuck open so, and we should explain it there's a one bridge it rotates Right. It, it pivots in the middle, and that allows ships to and go. And it was built in the 20s. Yeah. And there's always a, a bolt missing or a part falls off, and the bridge almost closes, like, within an inch. And then the rail, the, the rails don't meet, and trains just sit.
2: So anything going north. Or south. To New York or south to Philadelphia. And, and then D.C. The rest and of the country, J- right, doesn't Florida, work. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, and they kept announcing there was an issue, there was an issue. And you had said your train was running late. And I just thought and I shook my head because I was reading the reading the headlines for the day. And I thought, what happened to that bipartisan agreement, which this administration said they were going to work with Chuck Schumer and the Democrats to fix our bridges, our tunnels, our highways, our airports, our infrastructure. We're worried about some caravan that's thousands of miles away. <laughs> we're worried about whether somebody was born with a penis or not. And I and I can't take
0: a train to get business. And cars. we're worried, and And now we're going to be redefining the 14th Amendment. This whole uh, you c- do. citizenship thing. I don't think,
2: you know, if I, I told yeah. you this before. I have a friend of mine that works at the uni- University of Pennsylvania where Trump says yeah. he's smart and where he went. Every time he opens his mouth, they lose money. <laughs> I mean, this guy did nothing there, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, he's a total moron.
0: Well, Tim and I had uh, a, a bite to eat before the show, before the broadcast. And we just sat at one point. We were talking about my mom is recovering from some back surgery. She's doing great. But she had a little minor misstep in physical therapy, and she hurt her foot, so it's going to set her back a bit. And we're talking about things like that. Like, And then we looked at each other. We just didn't say anything for a second. And then you said, why are people spending and wasting time on anti-LGBT measures, anti-trans, caravans?
2: Worrying about the marriage. list goes
0: on and on. Let's worry about making a world-class country. Like, travel to Europe and check out their, their railroads and their infrastructure, right?
2: Or, you know, the, the, the horrible, hateful... Um shooting this week past well, weekend and i know you, you're from yeah. pittsburgh and i have got a lot of friends in pittsburgh and just what happened at the synagogue which has happened at churches and stuff before and rather than once again showing some sort of compassion or trying to bring the country together the, well they should have had an armed guard yeah the, really my, my my niece is is uh, a teacher and your mom was a teacher and both smart, intelligent, strong underpaid. women. Underpaid. And underpaid.
0: <laughs> Very underpaid. But by no
2: means are going to brandish a weapon no. in the classroom. Or do that they have a desire to. What are they going to carry in their purse? I mean, I, I it, and it's always an AR 15. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You know, no, I mean, I to capture that. So hmm. no, but it, it just it just makes you insane because we become so numb to it. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, I, I the, the only one that's happy about this whole thing is probably the Saudi Arabians because they got off the the, the, dole the for a little while.
0: The Khashoggi, for, for
2: killing Khashoggi.
0: Yeah, uh, the, yeah. And, well, you know, and then contrast that with uh, yesterday. I was working on the show and a proposal we were having uh, put together for a client. And my friend Ed sends me you know my friend Ed, Apple fan, sends me a text. He goes, You watch in the keynote or the live thing and I didn't realize they were doing it from Brooklyn, New York. This normally they do it out in California, so it was our time, the Brooklyn Academy of Arts. So I decide that I, no, I you, you listen to music when you yeah. work. Yeah, so sometimes I'll have the TV on in another room. It's kind of one of those companion things, like you're not. So I decide I'll I'll watch the, I'll put that on in the background. I ended up watching a good part of the Apple. Really? Well, you're such an Apple yeah, fan. Yeah, and I was really excited about the new iPad Pro, which I'll probably get, because mine's about three years old. Not that it doesn't work, but I love the new features. The was new mine? One. Three, three. Well, yours is three get or four. The, I didn't get the one. You got the Oh, upgrade. then yours is five years old. You should definitely think of uh, a new one. Um, Mine's losing the battery charge. That's the only complaint I have with it. So I'm watching this thing, and here's something I'll say. Apple spends a lot of money on these presentations. I sat there and I thought, I wonder how much they spent on that one day. Video—the one op- chance to make a good first impression. First impression. Was it Tim Cook? Tim Cook spoke. He was the—he so was here. He was the thread throughout the whole thing. Then they had different product. He so was he physically here in yep. Brooklyn? Then physically in Brooklyn. The beautiful videos. <laughs> beautiful video. Beautiful stuff. And I thought, you're looking. I just and I just started ticking off in my head the cost of doing this: renting the space, the personnel, security, audio, video. It must be like an auto show. I was going to say it was
2: probably somewhere between – I don't know how big the facility was and how many people they had watching, but to get – just the mechanics of getting the room set up and then making sure that the – tech stuff can go out so that it's audible correctly.
0: I'm guessing probably 800,000 to a million on the, on the low side. I thought a million on the low side at least. And then afterwards, they make a lot of the new products available to journalists. So they have a oh, whole really? other room that you can go and touch and feel and play with stuff. But afterwards, I just thought, wow, you know, one, but you are right. You never get a second chance at bat when you're launching a new product. You have to do it right. So they spend the money. But they did something that I love about Apple. They always remind you of why they do what they do. So they make watches and computers and phones and all this stuff, but at the core of it, their essential thing is we make products and services that allow you to be creative and allow you to be productive. So that could be anything really. Right. It's uh, they could make a toaster if that helped me to <laughs> surprise you didn't you didn't uh watch, get no, the watch. No. I may never get the watch just to make sure that you stay surprised. <laughs> I just don't I like my normal watch. I saw
2: someone with the watch on yesterday.
0: Yeah. I think they were
2: on it might have been on TV and it was up close. It was T V. And she was a pundit and she was up close and she was like this making a point in her did it light up. And I thought you could drop that and blow it up and probably
0: read her message. Yes. <laughs> okay, <now. laughs> John was laughing and smiling. And by the way, we have Garrett and John in the booth. As Tim says, the boys in the booth. Did, did
2: you dress mass? up did you dress up today like Garth and uh Oh, that would have been funny.
0: Wayne and Garth. Wayne and Garth. Garth? Garth. Wayne's World. Wayne's up. World. John always calls this place the Wayne's World of the <laughs> yeah. 2000s. You boys trick-or-treating tonight? Of course. Definitely. Do you really? really? No. Uh, <laughs> although I did think it
1: would be fun just to hit your one block and then go home and munch out. You know. Cause he could
0: put a mask on. He's the size of a child. So. Yeah, I'm a little guy. <laughs> I can pull I it off. Garrett, <laughs> did you guys when you all when we went out as kids, we, we we used to have to dump our bag out, and then we had the parents observe and any loose thing, that wasn't wrapped. Got separated out because there could be a razor blade. It'd it would be laced with LSD. Laced with LSD or there could be a razor blade. And I'd be like, one year I got a beautiful little apple and I'm like, it came from the old lady down the, the road. road. It was red. It was like a red, delicious apple, right? Shiny. And my mom goes, you can't have that. And, and they start looking at where they slide the razor, and I'm like, "It came from the old lady down the I road." No kids ever happened to. We when we got apples, they went right back at the house. <laughs> One of my favorite houses. They used to. This woman used to run out of candy, and then she used to have bags of pennies. Mm. She used to give Ziploc bags of pennies out, which my grandmother I, I did loved. that.
2: And my grandmother also, I think I told you, she had my grandmother in Canada, Nova Scotia. She had on her door a mark, pencil mark, and if you were above that, you got nothing. <laughs>
0: Is this the, Bob talks about your Canadian grandmother a great deal, <laughs> particularly because as she approached the end of her life, she gave everything, everything away. Everything away. And she was left with a table, a and spoon, a, a bowl, a chair, and a cup.
2: When my grandfather died, my mom and dad went up, and all she had left in the living room was a chair for her. <laughs> and my mom and dad are... And then my dad's like, where's dad's car? I gave it away. Where's... <laughs> where's <laughs> they retrieved the nice watch I have out of the garbage. I mean, she... We're, so, we somewhat, we, we never asked her for any, like we would never say, oh, grandma, I would love that. I'd love to have that. We just weren't raised that way. But we, we look back on it now and say we wish we had because she just assumed we didn't want anything. She had, a, one of the surviving things she had, they, she was that born actually, in.
0: Wait, that actually raises a point. If you had two things,
2: what would they be? So she was born and raised in England. Um, for until she was little, and they they immigrated to Nova Scotia, she had a picture that her mother had cherished of uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, not Queen Elizabeth, the uh, Queen Mum that they brought yep. over, and it was always just hanging in the den. And I was just Queen Mum was, Mom was like Queen Mary, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was always kind of intrigued by it. That would be a good little thing to have, and, and it's, it's that a... went away. And then, um, and then I always wanted her desk, which I do have. Oh, okay. My, my dad was okay. one of my. Dad and uh, uncle cleaned
0: out the house. I actually have some desk. of my favorite things from my granddad's desk. I have a, a bronze head of FDR. No, Teddy Roosevelt. I'm sorry, it's Teddy Roosevelt. I have a buffalo, a little bronze buffalo that says Buffalo, New York, around the bottom okay. of it. And I have a bank that has a picture of him on the front holding up a, a pike or some fish because he would love fishing. Oh. And, uh, and you know, that's all I need. Yeah. I don't need a lot of this stuff. Huh. So on the show today, after we do our usual stuff, we've got the outlaw. Which Whip? The
2: uh, Anthony or Anthony Angela, (laughs) there it is,
0: there's the whip. Yeah,
2: Angela Giampaolo is going to join us and talk to us about some civil rights and LGBT rights issues. Uh, ahead of the election, by the way, which is next Tuesday, we hope everybody goes out and votes if you don't have early voting where you live. So she'll join us, and then we've got a shop talk where John, as you you did in your opening, said that at 45, you're not dead, you're not
0: dead at 45, you're close to it. (laughs) We'll get to that when we get to it, but. What caught your eye this week?
1: What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found.
2: So happy Halloween! You know we don't get to do games anymore. We don't do pick that flick or. or I'm very Tim's pleased list. by what you chose. Well, pleased. so, I, so it, I. It harkens back. It harkens to the day. back to the old days. So this was Forbes just came out with a list, and they actually called it from 12 different media sources, in interviews with 40,000 different people from a group.
0: Wow, called the candy store customers. I don't know what that I guess that's a change I'm still reeling at the forty thousand data points. yeah,
2: forty thousand right? data points and 12 additional media outlets and so Forbes did a story on for 2018 the most loved and most hated Halloween candies <laughs> So before we start, did you guys have the most a most hated when you were a kid that you you got? You wouldn't eat or you would trade it off or give it to
1: somebody candy corn. Yeah, maybe Nico Wafers, although I like them now
0: when you were a kid. They're kind of like chalk. Anything minty. Oh, Oh, my God, really? No, mine was the uh, Mounds, or Mounds Mounds was not my favorite as a kid. That's a good call, too, yeah. Um, Almond Joy was okay, but I really loved the little Hershey's Mr. Good Bar. The dark chocolate. Well, you remember you used to get the little tiny, the, her, the mini the That's things. what you liked? I love some of those, and I, I used to like getting Kit Kat or anything like Reese's. So that was related. your favorite? Yeah. What
2: okay. was your favorite? Did you guys have a favorite? Probably like
0: Snickers or Reese's Pieces. Oh, Beezus. Snickers yeah, is course. such a perfect one, yeah.
1: Any time you got like
0: the king size of anything together, <laughs> yeah, it didn't matter. Well, pumped. I give out the big candy bars.
2: I made that mistake, which is going to have to all stop someday. Yeah. But uh, as you could tell, I didn't give up anything. <laughs> I, uh, my little brother was the kind of kid. He would get a Snickers bar and just take a bite and then leave it wrapped on his dresser. And it would bother me all day that he would not eat it all. And then he'd say, I might have a bite tomorrow. I, I do hate it that. on purpose. I hate that. My fa- so my favorite was either Snickers or the $100,000 bar. Oh, I remember so 100, I the $100,000 $100, bar, sure. bar, And I hated, we, there was an old lady in our neighborhood that gave out popcorn balls.
0: Oh, I didn't last like popcorn Christmas. balls. Yeah, and they were stale. They, so
2: anyway, these, are the, so these were the most hated candies based upon these 40,000 people and the other media sources. So number 10 was the Mary Janes, those peanut butter things. Oh, yeah, I remember Mary Janes. And uh, number, six, or number nine was Good and Plenty, which I was kind of surprised uh, about. Okay. Number eight was Licorice. Yeah, I'm not... A, yeah. But they said it was more the Black licorice versus the Red, Twizzlers. okay. Smarties, which I was surprised about, but they said that was more of the texture. Yeah. Tootsie Rolls, people thought that was a cheap thing. Peanut Butter Kisses, which were those wrapped orange and black things. The Necco wafers, wafers that John mentioned, people said they were too chalky. But like John, I now think they're one of my... Wrapped and waxed love them. paper. Yeah. From the New England Confectionery Company. Number three, we never got these, but... The, the wax Coke bottles. I hated them. Those I hated bottles. those things. Number two, of yeah. course, candy corn. And the, the least favorite is actually something I love, and I think because my mom liked them. The soft, orangey-pink, chewy, peanut-shaped confections, ranked as the worst candy for all Halloween visitors, the circus peanuts.
0: Are they marshmallows the, They're up
2: on the left. And if you're watching on our video, up on the far left, are those circus peanuts, are those orange things, and they come in different colors? Yeah. Yeah, they look like Here They, they are. are right
0: there those orange what are they though i i They're like a marshmallow marshmallow thing
2: it's sugar
0: yeah well it's <laughs> that that whole panel that you showed was sugar and the
2: most favorite All right. uh, number 10 no surprise hershey bar number nine skittles which they said was a nice change from common chocolate number eight is a favorite with the current generation
0: sour patch kids oh my god those... i was
2: surprised by this one i like it but i was surprised because it seems old-fashioned butterfinger number seven i like butterfingers I okay two. Number six, Nerds. Number five, M&M's. You can never go wrong with M&M's. One of John's favorites, for Kit Kat, which is the crunchy cookie. Give me a break. Give me a break. Oh, anyway. <laughs> then there was Twix, which, of course, was part cookie, part candy. I love Twix. Number two, Snickers, with the hearty peanut flavor. And number one, the all-time favorite, the perfect blend of chocolate and peanut butter, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Indeed. All right. Happy Halloween. I hope you're giving some of those things out tonight. I give out the big candy bars, as I said, and I always. You're locked in. Well, and it's always funny. Once the the parents come with the little kids and the little kid will take one and be excited. And I, I, I get the joy of that. And then it's always when the mother or father looks and says, oh, we have a sick child at home. Could we take another? I was like, really? I know they just want it. Just let him be honest and
0: say we want the... Right,
2: you know, there's. Uh, were you ever so sick you couldn't drag yourself out for Halloween? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. So what we'll got you wrong.
0: We, Yeah, <laughs> all right. Mine, um, I want to say it's ghoulish in a way, but maybe it's not. And it wasn't necessarily picked for Halloween. But this headline did indeed catch my eye earlier in the week. It said, Disney World's big secret. It's a favorite spot to scatter family ashes. So when people have a loved one's remains cremated... It turns out that Disney World or Disneyland in Anaheim happens to be a favorite spot to go and sprinkle the ashes.
2: Hmm. I guess I never thought of that.
0: So custodians at the Walt Disney Company um, in either park usually use something like code V means it's a cleanup. A patron has vomited. Or code U means someone's urinated somewhere. Code V for vomit, vomit, U for urine. But if you hear the dreaded HEPA cleanup, H-E-P-A, that means once again, a park guest has scattered the cremated ashes of a loved one somewhere in the park, and an ultra-fine or HEPA vacuum cleaner is needed to suck them up. So what when a, you know, when a guard observes someone like sprinkling what looks like flour or powder, they pretty much know they're they're apparently trained to look for this. That but you can't smoke on at, no. You, on well, you can, right? but they have so nowhere to like? put the cigarette. Remember, they have yeah. no. It, they make it yeah. impossible to smoke. Yeah. Disney Custodian says that the spreading of loved ones' ashes happened about once a month. And uh, here's an example of how someone did this. Anyone who knew my mom knew Disney was her happy place, said Jody Jackson-Wells, a business coach in Boca Raton. She smuggled a pill bottle containing her mother's ashes into Disney World. Once inside, she helped she spread the ashes on the platform of a ride called It's a Small World. It's a Small World. You remember that? You ever been on that ride? It's... I don't know if I'd spread anybody's ashes there. Um, and she spread them near a head-spinning bird, a little robot outside the ride. And the mother used to always laugh at that bird. Aww. Later in the day, overcome with grief, Ms. Wells hopped over a barricade surrounding the lawn outside Cinderella's Castle and began running and dancing, flinging the ashes in the air <laughs> because she was overcome with grief. HEPA, HEPA clean up, HEPA, HEPA clean up at Cinderella's Castle. Yeah. No, I never thought of it. I guess this would be a very Isn't this? Thing. Yes. So current and former custodians at Disney Park says, say identifying and vacuum up human ashes is a signature and secret part of working at the happiest place on earth. It is grisly work for them, but a cathartic release for the bereaved. So um, Haunted Mansion is another big place. In fact, one guy says the Haunted Mansion probably has so much human ashes in it that it's not even funny. <laughs> now, when you think about this, right, like. Next time you go to the haunted mansion and like something blows up you know, and there's dust, you probably in would here. want to be in Space Mountain. I liked Space Mountain. It was an indoor roller coaster. You been on it. Fact. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Do
2: do you,
0: are, do you want your ashes spread anywhere? I never gave ga- I, I never gave it a moment's thought. To be honest with you, I never gave it a thought. My uncle had one of his, and he,
2: he died young. Um, my mom's brother, and and he he wanted the ashes sprinkled on the. The homestead they grew up on. And so. There's obviously another family living there. <laughs> so my cousins concocted this plan, and apparently they did it. They threw him in a baggie and then drove by and there got out go. late at night and threw it over the fence.
0: And And so your baggie thing leads right into this. So how do people pull this off? The behavior is strictly prohibited and unlawful, although no guest has ever been arrested. But smugglers say getting the ashes past security is easy as they transport and pres- they put it in a prescription pill bottle, makeup compact, or Ziploc bags hidden in pockets and knapsacks and stuff. Then they go about their business. So when ash residue is discovered on a ride, Disney workers tell guests they must shut down the ride due to technical difficulties. Then a manager rides along through the attraction looking for any ash piles <laughs> with with a, I don't
2: think it's just sprinkled. With colleagues. Somebody uses
0: an ash pile. They have found actual piles. You're like a, some, someone just dumped the pill bottle out and that's the remains. Mm. And then they vacuum up the things and they shut it down. So uh, that was that was what <laughs> caught my eye. Yeah, I like it. And that. here's the end of the article. Instead of going to a grave to visit her loved one, this woman goes to Disney World because she spread apparently three loved ones' ashes all over the park. <laughs> well, caught your eye always is entertaining. We had best and worst Halloween candy, and apparently people are going crazy spreading ashes at Disney World and Disneyland. All right, as many of you know, um, his birthday. Oh, sorry. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but The Focus Group is the only
1: show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. John wanted to not wish happy
2: 54th birthday to Martin Franklin. (laughs) Poor Martin. (laughs) Good waves. I stepped all over his birthday. Poor Martin. He's 54 today, born October 31st, 1964. He was... um, uh, born, he was a British-born New York citizen. He lives actually in Harrison, New York, which is right outside of New York City. He's the co-founder of Jarden, Jarden Company. She served as the, as the chairman and chief executive from '01 to 2011. And Jarmin, or Jarden, I'm sorry, um, is one of those consumer brands that.
0: You probably don't know the name, but you know all the products. The minute you brought up Jardin, I'm very confused as to... I've never heard... This is an umbrella company? Yeah. A holding so, company. So okay. they own things like Oster.
2: Oh, the, oh, I know the that. The toasters, the sure. irons, all that sort of stuff. And they just in 2016, they merged with Newell Brands. And so the new company between Jardin... In Newell, it's now called Newell Rubbermaid, I believe oh, is what the name is. Oh. I'm sorry, it's called Newell Brands. That's so now, all under this umbrella are brands such as Papermate, Sharpie, oh Homer's God. Glue, Coleman, Camping Stuff, Jost- Jostens, remember the rings and yeah. things? Marmot, Lennox, Oster, Graco, Calphalon, Rubbermaid. First Alert, Yankee Candle.
0: These are all pretty, pretty known huge. brands, yeah, right?
2: Huge stuff. So it's a it's a 16 billion, 16.7 billion dollar company now, and um, he did lots of buy sells in his early life and ended up as as chairman of Jarden. He earned 44 million in 2013 before the merger, and then he earned 118 million. Can you imagine earning that kind of money? He would only have to work one year.
0: Uh, uh, y- yeah, and and see, that's the thing. Depending on how you live, if you made that kind of money, you'd just step off what the What did train, we do wrong, right? John? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he also founded Nomad Foods, which sells
2: bird's eye frozen foods, of course. Okay. Um, so his net worth is about $600 million. He competes in a lot of Ironman triathlons and raises money for Jewish causes here in New York. He and his wife um, have three sons and a daughter. They live in New York and Aspen. He's an avid skier. He also competes in something called ultramarathons. Is, th- is that longer than 100 and... Yeah, you do other stuff. So it's swimming, running, riding. So, yeah. okay. And I think they're, they're, they're the distance is further. And I thought of you because he said, I have my best ideas on a bicycle or running over a mountain.
0: Happy birthday, Martin Franklin. Well, I should never have stepped on his birthday. We have many things in common, right? Well, he says he gets
2: his best ideas when he's out doing that sort of thing. But I, when I saw so it sort of popped up. When his birthday popped up, I'm, I, I didn't really know him, and there was not a lot written about him, and then I had to go to Jordan, and then he found out about it. But he's done an awful lot. Of, he went to the University of Pennsylvania, so he, unlike Trump, he seems to be smart, <laughs> and um, he, did, he did an awful lot of uh, – and so
0: you, you know he's smart because he's not telling you he's smart. If somebody That's tells the you there's something, smart. then they're not that thing they're telling you. I'm just going to say it that way. <laughs> Does that make sense? We
2: had more people watching that inauguration, period!
0: Then you know there's five people and they're going to Photoshop the rest.
2: The most successful president in the history of presidents, period! <laughs>
0: I'm a scary, brilliant genius. Yeah, see, see, see the see i has got a lot of smart words. See the, see the pattern. If you tell someone you're one way, you're going to bet you're another. All right, now we can go <laughs> into, uh, many of you know that Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on the Focus Group. We're really glad to be working with them. They've been with the show for quite a while. And thank you, John, for putting up. John found this great thing. If you watch the video... There's a shark that actually uh, swims in, does a little, he's a nasty one. guy. He's got a lot of cuts and bruises from well, fighting with other shark. sharks, probably. And it's Sharky, Sharky the Shark. We learned from our marketing friend, Lauren, that, in fact, the shark's name is Sharky. Sharky. Arr, Did you see, shark. by
2: the way, they found a shark up in the Arctic that lives to 400 oh. years old. Really? Yeah. 400 years old? Yeah, three to 400 years old. Wow, yeah, I was that by. is kind of crazy. It was to okay. be the caught my eye, but maybe next time.
0: So you go to uh, focusgroupradio.com, look for the Shark logo, Arr, with the sunglasses, Arr, off to the right, click on it, and go start shopping at deep discount. It's a site-wide sale, one of our favorites. Tim and I get to f- roam the range. We get, ra- we get to go off-road and roam the range. In fact, there, John, there it is right there at the top. Rock'em Sock'em Robots was up there for a second. They still rock. remember rock, I and, love Sock, rock and rock roll, Sock and roll? And you you knock my block there off. There they are. So it's a uh, you could get everything at uh, deep discount. There's games, toys, movies, books, TV shows. Uh, so site wide sale. Everything's on sale. Start your shopping. So go ahead.
2: What did you? So pick? So I picked I picked something that was never on DVD before. So it's the smart Alec Rabbit Bugs Bunny, and it's a DVD of Air, it's called Air Extraordinaire. Hair. Extraordinary. Hair, hair extraordinaire. H-A-R-E. H-A-R-E. Okay. On DVD, and you can get it for under $15. It's $10.83. You save almost 30% if you go get it uh, through Deep Discount. And it's got 15 shorts. And uh, what I've always marveled about Bugs Bunny and you being an anim- animation fan and animator, about how these were just all drawn. And drawn. And it's yeah. amazing when you watch them. But I've always, as a kid, I loved Bugs Bunny because I thought he was kind of the Lucille Ball totally. of, yeah. of cartoons because he was snarky, he was scheming, he was cunning, and he always figured out how to get out of trouble. And you it was
0: loved Totally Lucy. You loved him, and you also love one of my favorite other characters. Foghorn Leghorn. Oh, yeah. I say, I say, I say, whoa, but like, that was one of my dad's favorites, too, by the way. Yeah,
2: no, so I, so anyway, it's... Um, so are these shorts, are these like um,
0: a collection of the so most So this is a famous? collection of
2: the 15 that are, are most known for. So the one, remember, where he goes to the hairdresser, there's one where he's a bank robber, there's one there's where he's the the chef. the opera one. Yeah, the opera. So these are 15 of those. They said they'd never before been on DVD. It's the sort of thing, again, you're not going to find this if you're poking, you might find them poking around on, on YouTube, but they get taken down a lot,
0: but it'd be great. If you, I just think they're a great classic thing to have for your collection. Oh, I love it, and I have a Looney Tunes collection. We pop in every now and yeah, then, and the color have, is, yeah. it, it, they look way better than we saw them on TV when we were kids. I picked a cartoon as well, and I didn't think we would end up in the oh, same spot, but mine is uh, different. It's from 1994. It's the first children's show. But adults, trust me, you'll watch this and you'll laugh. It's called uh, Reboot, and Reboot was a Canadian production um, that we saw here in the U.S. in '94. It takes place inside a computer. The villains are the evil Megabyte <laughs> and Hexadecimal. Every did you see this? I loved it. And one of the uh, one of the women who uh, was the defender of the computer was Dot Matrix. So all the names of the characters come from computery stuff. It's one of the first fully 3D animated shows that they made for kids on TV. It ran for a couple years. It's beloved by a lot of people. And they have the entire collection, which is very hard to find wow. in one spot. I think it's $54 for the set at deepdiscount.com. So if you are a fan of smart animated storytelling, like, a, like there's layers. Like a Bugs Bunny cartoon works for kids. Yep. And there's a whole other thing going on for adults. It reboots the exact same anyway. way. And the new release this week
2: is *The Princess Bride* on Blu-ray from the Criterion Collection. I'm sorry to say I've
0: never seen *The Princess Bride*. Okay, this this the reason I I was amazed at this. I thought, I wonder why it took so long a for Criterion to pick this up. This is held in super high regard by a lot of people. *The Princess Bride*. Yeah, no, I know it is. Uh, Carrie Elwes, Robin Wright. It's a Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner's directing the film. Uh, Wallace Shawn's in and it, Andre the Giant, Mandy Patinkin, Christopher Guest, Peter Falk, Billy Crystal. It is this really tongue in cheek take on the old fairy tales. Fairy tale, right. And it's people just, people remember this movie. They remember what age they were when they saw it. And it's one of those beloved pictures. I think you might get a kick out of it. it a lot of it's a little slapsticky and tongue in cheek. But oh, look at you! <laughs> You're, when you study your notes, that no, means... I know when it's on Criterion, though it's worth getting. Yeah, that's so, exactly right.
2: So, uh, so be sure to head over to focusgroupradio.com and click on the deep discount logo and start shopping. It's a site-wide sale. I picked Bugs Bunny, Hair Extraordinaire. John picked Reboot, the definitive mainframe edition. In the new release from Criterion, is The Prince's Bride. So uh, be sure to shop away. We're right, uh, Garrett. Thanks, Deep Discount. I almost forgot that. We're going to take a quick break.
0: Stepping on the birthday,
2: <laughs> doing all the birthday. things. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got our Outlaws segment with Angela Giampala. She's going to talk to us about what's going on with some uh, LGBT and civil rights uh, in our country right now. So stay with us. We'll be right
1: back. Brought to you by the Volkswagen Tiguan. Visit ew.com to learn more. Focus on the savvy side of 9 to 5 with the focus group. Try, really try. Listen, laugh, and learn with
0: Tim and John. I never try anything, I just do it. Welcome back to Focus Group. John Nash with Tim Bennett. Focusgroupradio.com is the website where you can find out all about the show and most certainly continue to download and listen to Unbuttoned, which is our Tuesday podcast. Joining us now from Philadelphia is uh, Angela Gianpalo. She's an attorney, a legal expert, author, entrepreneur, and an activist. How do you get all that done in a day? We don't know. but But for us, she is the outlaw. And Garrett... Got the whip crack. <laughs> <laughs> so, Angela, that's that's designed for you. Welcome. How, good to see you.
3: Good to see you. Hopefully, you can hear me this time.
0: You got you're perfect. You're coming in loud and clear. Welcome. A nice blue background. Got a good background for yeah. skyping. Yeah. So, Angela, you come on to talk to us about some st- things that are happening in the uh, in the realm of legal and uh, legal issues surrounding the LGBT community. Sometimes it's international. More often than not, it's here in the U.S. You are uh, well known for a blog that you do in Philly. Um, it's the Philly Gay Lawyer, and you just did a piece for the PGN that we're going to kick off with, and that was the notion of having a post a post nuptial agreement, which is different Correct. than a prenup.
3: Correct. Hence the post. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: All so, right. The next article. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so te- yeah. So tell us about that.
3: Um, specifically the LGBT community, in my opinion, are impacting the way that courts view post nuptial agreements. So historically post nuptial agreements have not been looked upon favorably because why didn't you get this stuff in order before? And so clearly the relationship must be on the rocks and you're looking at tying up loose ends, you know, now. And so for whatever reason, and and I think incorrectly. Historically, courts have disfavored post nuptial agreements. Um, But post marriage equality, I mean, for myself and my clients, going back 12 years, I've had gay clients that may have gotten married in Massachusetts in 2000, but they're from Pennsylvania, so it wasn't acknowledged and they weren't technically married, but they were sort of in some ether out there legally married, but not really. And we, a few of us had wind of when marriage equality was going to happen here in Pennsylvania. We knew it was going to be in May. Um, and we kind of had about a week's heads up. And I did 28 prenups during that week because people were like, oh, what do you mean? I'm going to be married? I never thought it actually happened in my lifetime. And, and so we had marriage equality in 2013 and just federally with Edie Windsor. Then every state did their own thing at whatever year they did. And then Jim Obergefell gave us nationwide marriage equality, but all these people had marriage dates where their marriage may have predated marriage equality, but it didn't become legal until their state or the federal government you know, allowed it. So it's just been a hodgepodge. And, and been, I've done over 50 post-nups where it's like, you know what, I didn't have time to plan for this. In hindsight, I'd like to do X, Y, Z. And Pennsylvania in particular is favoring that.
2: So could you give an example of it? Because as I, as I was reading this, some of the description I thought, well, it sounds almost like a prenup. Could you, what is, is is there a subtle difference between a pre and a post?
3: Only if something may have happened during the marriage. You know, let's say I choose to forego car insurance and I didn't tell you and I got into a massive car accident. That's
0: a problem. <laughs> you know, and, yeah.
3: and there was a massive judgment against me for 190,000. And, I want to, you know, or even a windfall, even, you know, not, not necessarily negative, but maybe a windfall, or maybe you started a business, and and it took off, and you're the next, you know, Steve Jobs, but you never even imagined that pre-marriage, and, and you have business partners. I mean, I do this a lot with uh, real estate investors, where they buy a bunch of properties with another person, and if I get stuck in a divorce, then all of my assets are in that divorce, and my poor business partner our asset is stuck in that. And so there's a caveat to that saying that this business asset is not included in in marital property. But um, I would say the most important difference is, especially recently, now that we've had marriage equality for a while, I feel like postnuptial agreements are actually preventing divorces. So a lot of people come to me in fear. And they say, I don't know if I necessarily want to get divorced. I don't know if that's where I'm heading, but I have four properties. I have this. I have that. I go to bed at night wondering if I'm going to get the shirt stolen off my back, and it, it doesn't allow me to focus on my relationship.
0: Angela, is um, <laughs> when you when you are doing a post nuptial agreement, the example you just gave, I'm curious about is are you are you usually sitting in front of the couple, the two people, or are you usually dealing with just one half of the partnership?
3: So usually. One will contact me on behalf of both, and I have to let them know that I can only meet and represent one of them. And then they choose between them who I'm, who's going to be the point person and who I'm going to deal with. But ethically and from a conflict standpoint... Just like a prenup, as far as a postnup goes, I can only represent
2: one of them. Ah, uh, okay. I, I okay. put in, I put in the margin because you mentioned infidelity. Yeah, yeah. And as I put in the margin, the Jerry Springer clause, because you always hear, if you do it again, if you do it again, yeah. You, so, 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 my other question about the pre and postnup, Angela, is if you traditionally, when you get married, a couple gets married, gay or, gay or straight, aren't the assets that were acquired while you were together Part of any sort of breakup, if it does happen, without having a pre or a postnup, and is that why you're saying you want to protect yourself then?
3: So two two things. So the other part of that article that I get into is um, LGBTQ individuals tend to get married later in life, right? I just got married. I'm 38. I own property. I'm I'm 38. I'm not 18 with nothing and I need China and, you know, a coffee maker. (laughs) I'm good in life. And so I'm protecting what I've already accumulated. But so the date of marriage, whatever M-day is, date of marriage, whatever assets you have going into the marriage are technically yours, except for the increase in value until D-day, divorce day. So if you have a piece of property that's worth $100,000 on marriage day, but it's worth $400,000 on D-Day, then $300,000 of that is considered marital property. And then including anything that you've accumulated during the 12 years of marriage. Together, right. Yeah. Together. So your 401 k going into the marriage, your pension, anything that can increase in value, all of it, everything that you own that has your name around it is marital property. It just gets messy because it's only the increase in value.
2: But if you said if you said in a post-nup or a prenup that if I had a four hundred one k or I own stock or I own property and should we have the unfortunate should we unfortunately separate that stuff's not could you write in that that's not to be included in anything?
3: Absolutely, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, okay. what we choose to buy jointly is joint, and we've made that choice. That's I like got the four
2: hundred one k. We'll split the sofa.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Angela, thank you for um, the article, uh, which is in the PGN. the
3: The big sort of caveat to all of this is every single married couple has a prenup or a postnup. It's whether or not you and your partner took the time to write it for yourselves or you let the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania or the state of New York or, God forbid, the state of California write it for you because they're meant for nobody. People come to me and they're pissed off about a cell phone contract. The breakage fee is $350 on your AT&T bill. Your breakage fee on a marriage is not $350, but people end up, will marry without a contract. But your cell phone bill has a contract that you can break and it's only 350. Yeah. So it's just, you know, think about it and own it and do it for yourself. Are you married? She just, yeah
2: yeah. Do you have a prenup, postnup? I do. I do. <laughs> She's a lawyer. Pre.
3: I know, just want to check. <laughs> You know, Aretha... I mean, of course, I knew I'd be asked this if I were right about this. <laughs> so yeah
0: <laughs> I can't believe Aretha Franklin
2: didn't have a didn't have even have a will.
0: you know, it depends uh, on I what know. people do. Yeah. All right, so thank you for explaining that, Angela, and I think you clarified that very well. And as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking a lot of people who are listening to this probably are saying not a bad idea to maybe think about no, you it. need to have one. Yeah. Now the next item uh, that we were going to discuss with you revolves around health and human services, the Justice Department, course the trump administration and their desire to uh basically use the law to eliminate an entire class of people which are the transgender community by stating that gender is the uh the biology you were born with not the biology you represent as what is your take on all this and and um where this could lead to
3: well, obviously, no, we're good. Um, <laughs> and it's important to note that it's not just, you know, the transgender community. There's um, a lot of people that just don't identify either non-binary. Uh, and so currently the statistics show 1.4 million people within the U.S. identify in some way on the spectrum where they, they wouldn't want to check the box, you know, male or female. And, and just two days ago, you had the Netherlands come out with their first four-gender passport. I mean, so to, to say that we're going back in the dark ages, um, and, and as far as, you know, where this is going, it's scary because as an administration, I thought that they had done the most that they could do, right? Uh, reeling back any progress we had in Title IX in schools, um, health and, and, and other uh, health care, being able to, to mm-hmm. have sex reassignment surgeries covered by Medicaid and Medicare, all of that being rolled back but down to putting gender in the law for the first time in the history of our United States. Gender has never been inscribed in law. It has not been law that male that that gender, male-female, is based on the biological sex that you're born with. This is just a whole new level. It's a whole new level. I honestly, you know, the slippery slope, I can't fully... Uh, grasp even at the moment.
2: So is this something that would have to go before Congress or is it just something he could simply have the Justice Department implement?
3: Honestly, I think it's something he could just implement as opposed to the birthright situation. Um, Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, was able to just implement that uh, Um, passport that your gender could be changed on your passport. Just as Secretary of State, she was able to unilaterally do that. So That's my only frame of reference, really, as to saying that I think he can do that unilaterally because she did very similar progressive things around gender that were uh, pro-trans and and non-binary in terms of passports, which is one of our most important federal documents. So. She could do that unilaterally. I feel like he can do
2: this unilaterally. I have a. I, I'm somewhat naive to um, the nine, non-binary descriptor, and as you mentioned, well, you said 1.4 million people uh, in the U.S. identify as non-binary. Mm-hmm. How do they? Be, because we're, we're, we're by far not the most enlightened country or society with this. How how does somebody who's non-binary then get a license or? function when it asks you for gender on a on an application do they just um, say do not answer or because don't you have to when you go i mean even in philadelphia right when you used to have to go get a, a, a septa pass you had to identify as either male or female
3: right yeah that was the big controversy a few right. years ago is with what septa did but um unfortunately yes i mean philadelphia specifically and hopefully in the next three months or so uh, will, that will be changed within Philadelphia. The Mayor and the LGBT Commission are working on changing that. So, as a country, we may not be most enlightened, but Philadelphia we're definitely a haven within a hell, I like to say. Um, but so most people, though, you do you just have to pick the lesser of two evils and go with the one that you know hopefully will um, lead to the least amount of discrimination. You know, towards, so it can function, um, right? I mean, yeah. 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 But but in other Canada, uh, the Netherlands, the Netherlands is the first to do with passports. But other countries have an N.A., to your point. You know, like I don't want to choose either.
0: So Angela. I,
3: I, well, to go back to postnups, I did my first prenup with a gender non-binary. And I had to use they all throughout. Wow. And, and then you say they, but it's not supposed to change the plural of the verb. And I mean, as a lawyer and, and, and reading contracts and the enforceability of it, I feel like the law needs to catch up because I felt like, you know, the enforceability of that contract was sort of mm. it, it was shaky because it, it said they, but there was no they. It was one person and why they. And, and so looked at 20 years from now. So I put a bunch of footnotes all throughout that they was defined as X, Y, Z, because it just didn't read the way that I needed to, and the law is not there. Yeah, and I it, needed it yeah. to be read 20 years from now and still makes sense.
0: The common use of, uh, of of that language would be, you know, they as we understand they and we read it. But Angela, referring to the, the slippery slope you talked about with the the very first time our government or our country would define or codify or define gender, um, I suppose that no one is really looking down the road, especially not the Justice Department, at all the different lawsuits that might pop up by doing what they want to do. And then it's going to start coming in conflict with individuals, with institutions, with schools, public buildings, private corporations. I mean, it sounds like it's a mess to me that you would ever want to tackle this or, or do what they're doing.
3: I, I mean, hopefully, being in the midterms, um, in two years, if, if things change in, in the administration, then all of this will be rolled back. I think the lawsuits will, well, I know the lawsuits will start. ACLU, Lambda, we've already yep. had discussions. The lawsuits are, are underway because you just have to. Uh, the damage has been done right now or is being done right now. So you, you have to um, put your placeholder in, but hopefully that it can be codified, but it can be taken back. We already know now, 2020, we're not gonna be counted in the census. So we got counted you know, once in and, and 2010, and now 2020, we're not. And to lose 10 years of, of statistics, yeah. I mean, the, the census goes towards budgeting and allocating funds towards those people who need it because the census shows. So we're already not going to be in the 2020 census as is.
2: You know, John and I had this discussion at lunch, and we, we referenced it a little bit earlier. But what do you think's behind all this?
3: Oh, all this in general? I thought there was
2: another word. <laughs> no, no, I was just <laughs> going to say, what do you think is behind yes. Because there's so many <laughs> other things as a country we need to tackle. And we're, we're like worried Pence. about caravans and whether someone was born with a penis or not. I mean, is right. this a religious thing or is this a – because that's where kind of we came down on it. We thought it was somewhat religious-based and maybe Pence was involved. But it just seems to be like such a unnecessary road for us to go down.
3: You know, the one thing that I can say about Trump that – if I were to respect or admire anything is that the people he's made promises to, to get him where he is, he wants to make good on those promises. And Mike Pence, all, you know, not to tip the hat on what our third topic is, but Mike Pence, gay or straight, if you cannot give birth, it is against God's will for you to use any other means to do so. And he wants, he he doesn't even think that should be a thing. And there should be no government funding towards any sort of idea for, even if you're straight, you weren't God-made it so that you cannot have a child. Uh, all HIV and AIDS funding, he wants to go towards pro-life stuff. So Mike Pence has been very dutiful, uh, very silent, very much the footman soldier, and this is very much his agenda. I mean, I, I think Ivanka Trump just is turning over in her early grave while awake, you know? I mean, she just <laughs> has, has his daughter who lives in New York. I mean, Trump was at—Hillary or Hillary Clinton was at Trump's wedding. I mean— yeah. You know, this is just such an about face that really has nothing to do with his administration so much as the people behind him, the stakeholders that have asked for certain things and he must deliver.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, Angela. It's definitely the uh, checking off the list and making sure that everybody that supported it gets what they want out of it. And unfortunately, the uh, Christian right. And it's funny to put those two words together, Christian and right, because this is very Christian wrong.
3: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Uh, But moving. That's a T-shirt, Tim.
0: Christian wrong. Christian wrong. (laughs) Angela is a business here. Uh, The last uh, piece you brought to us, I think, is interesting, and it comes to us from Europe, and uh, it's basically that two lesbian mothers both carried the same baby.
3: Well, not Europe. They're from Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, they're
0: from Fort Worth, Texas, and it yeah. was part of an like Europe. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so it was it was through in vitro fertilization IVF, um, and and one of the women uh, had the carried the had the uh, carried the embryo originally, and then in, and it was put into the other one to go to full term. So they're both technically the mothers, right? Right.
3: Right. So, and, and we've had, so this is the first ever, right. That's ever happened in the world in this way, but we've had it happen in other ways where let's say we put uh, my egg and my wife's egg both in me and see which one attaches. And so I give birth. So, so the embryo went inside me, and the sperm is inside me, and the baby develops inside me, and then I am the gestational mother as well, I give birth. But instead, they used one mother as sort of almost like a surrogate, if -hmm. you will, for two gay men, right? But instead of that surrogate being the surrogate that also gives birth, they then shared that role with the woman who ended up giving birth. So the DNA is the one of the, the surrogate, And then the gestational mother is purely the gestational mother, but she got to experience the nine months worth of of pregnancy and caring and speaking and singing and classical music. And they have a bond unlike the DNA woman does. You know, I've seen interviews since. And and the the one that gave birth was worried that because it had the other's DNA that she wouldn't feel as attached to the baby. But really, the baby is like obsessed with, you know, the vehicle that brought him alive. So from and, a, from, and a, from what I heard, uh, the doctor said that it costs less yeah. than traditional, which is key. And then from my point of view, my adoption fees, an estate plan, and a second parent adoption is five grand. No adoption necessary. They're both mothers. No adoption necessary, and the IVF procedure was less.
2: So how can That's that? So how do you go over that hurdle? Then you're both being mothers. Like who? How do you explain that? Yeah.
3: Right. <laughs> Are they
2: both on the birth certificate? I mean, how is that?
3: Well, they're both on the birth certificate now right? By, by virtue of being married. But so let's say we did it the traditional way where um, I give birth and it's my embryo, my egg and a random sperm. And then my wife is not in any way legally attached to that baby. She's a step parent by virtue of being married to me. Right. We're married. It would be like if we met and the baby was 13. No different. It came out of me and she's not in any way biologically attached. So what I do all day every day is I do the adoption of the one that did, is not biologically related and did not give birth. But no matter what, by virtue of being married, they're both on the birth certificate. But I have another article we can discuss, which is birth certificates are not decrees of parentage. Only an adoption can do that or this new, really interesting <laughs> mommy, double mommy way.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating because when you sent us the article, you're right. The a normal IVF procedure costs about $30,000. This was about fifteen. I don't. I and it's just fascinating to me. And, and then I might, no adoption fees. Yeah, and my mind went right to what you were talking about, which is because of the the they both shared biological components and necessities for this birth. You would, if you if you heard the case all the way through, and you had the you patiently it was laid out, you'd be like, they're both the mother. I know that they are mm-hmm. by virtue of marriage, but. Also by virtue of the biology of it it's kind of fascinating to me it really is and you know yeah I just was wondering do you think it's going to be common
3: um it's the first time ever in the world and and but you know to to John's point this was not in Europe and I just got back from a conference in Fort Worth, Texas and I was in the hotel room and CNN was on and 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 I was like, oh my god am I in Texas and ivF between lesbians is interesting you know I wasn't paying attention I didn't realize it was like the first time ever in the world and I was just offended by being in Texas and having just IVF between two lesbians being newsworthy and then I started listening and and realized how they did it differently and being that they're in Texas the doctor is getting a ton of hate mail hate phone call what are you doing Uh, and she was on the news and she said you know what Uh, anything that brings about more life and within love can't be wrong. And all I did was bring about love in a way that would strengthen the relationship because to John's point, both feel invested. It's not like one just swiped a credit card for 30 grand to bust out a baby. (laughs) They are both in some way invested biologically and emotionally. And I think that'll help the relationship moving forward. And obviously the baby's born in love. So I hope it does become more common.
2: Well, thanks for joining us. Three great stories this week. And, Thank uh, you. And it, we it, had
3: no uh, yeah. audio issues. I know it was
2: good. The gremlins
3: stayed yeah. <laughs> away.
2: So it's our
0: outlaw segment with Angela <laughs> G. Oh, there it is. I want my caricature, John. Where's
3: my caricature? <laughs> we, got
0: it. we got to do a caricature, and it's got to be like uh, an Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones kind with. of thing. Not yeah. maybe a Fort, <laughs> Worth, Fort Worth sort of theme. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you can learn more at
2: uh, G.I.A.M.P.O.L.O. Did I do it right? I've been called worse.
3: Yeah,
2: <laughs> and of course you can always find out. We have uh, Angela's picture on our Facebook page, which is Focus Group Radio, and uh, of course the audio of this broadcast will be posted on Saturday mornings as well. So thanks for joining us. Happy Halloween!
3: Oh yeah, the gay high holy day. we haven't discuss it. I'm oh, gonna be El Woods from Legally Blonde with my little Chihuahua.
2: Are
1: you? Oh, <laughs> oh
3: what's your
2: Chihuahua's name? I'll send name? you photos. Did we ask you what's your Chihuahua's name?
3: Nico. It used to be Chico when I adopted him, but I thought that was rude. So I renamed him Nico. My little guy,
2: Spike, he's got a little bat outfit, but but he'll be good. So, hey, thanks for joining us, Angela. Thank Thank you. You You
3: guys rock. Bye.
2: It's the Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have a uh, little shop talk for you. So stay
1: with us. Brought to you by the seven-seater Volkswagen Atlas. Life's as big as you make it. Visit BW.com to learn more. On the savvy side of nine to five, with the focus group. And in business a week, I got more money, and I know what to do with. Listen, laugh, and learn with Tim and John. Herrera Rochet, hey, he is doing well. Even though know they took that off YouTube. I
0: Welcome back to the focus group. Thank you again to uh, Ange- Angela Gianpalo, our uh, outlaw. Three great topics, and uh, now we're going to do a quick shop talk. I teased it at the beginning of the broadcast, and it's uh, the headline read, and it's from Business Insider, contrary to the dead at 45 theory, a new study suggests that career perks or peaks, sorry, can happen at any age. And, you know, there's a persistent thought process, or it's like an urban legend practically in, I think it's in corporate America, in jobs in general, there's this notion that you are only going to produce your best work from the age of maybe 30 to 45 or is it like 28 or so and i don't know where this came from but the notion is that those and in fact we all talk about our prime income earning years in fact men in their 40s and 50s are considered to be in their prime income earning years and yet you look at a man like uh, tim gunn who was a creative director for um clay was it claiborne liz claiborne yeah, or no, he was at the Parsons School, wasn't he? He was at Parsons Schools, but but then he, he, Project Runway happened late in his career. He already had a successful career as a teacher, as a creative director, as a mentor. Boom, Project Runway happens, here we are 16 years later, and he's, you know, so I think you could peak at any time, and the article talks about how they looked at over 30,000 scientists, artists, directors, and they basically tried to figure out when they had their best moments, and uh most people in these fields sometimes had three or four years of amazing creativity. Maybe it was five to six. But it could happen at any time in their lifespan, which I thought was not bad. See, I thought this was contradictory. Oh, I know where you're going.
2: I, no, because I thought you're exactly right. It said that, you know, you could peak at different stages. You don't have to be through the, you know, essentially, if you're not 27 to 45, life's over. Yeah, exactly. But they said you can peak at any time. But they said rarely if you've peaked once... The chances of you peaking again are probably less than 25 percent, less than 10 percent, depending upon the field you're in. And I wondered about that. But they said that the traditional way of thinking is once you pass 45, the chance of a breakthrough is lower. But as long as you keep producing, your best work may be yet to come. (laughs) <laughs> I circled. I I did the exact same thing you did. So I didn't know if they were saying yes. Um, Twenty seven to forty five is the hot streak or the the sweet spot. But if you keep working at something, as your example was with Tim Gunn, you might peak again. But don't well, expect it.
0: I, I agree. Yeah, and, and your 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 take, your takeaway from the article is pretty spot on. Um, this whole notion of peaking, though, uh, is is an intriguing. Somebody
2: tell you life was over.
0: I had a friend who said, "You know, don't worry. You've achieved your legacy." And, and me and Tim are known f- in our when our advertising careers were best known for our 15-year award-winning effort doing Subaru's LGBT marketing. And I'm very proud of that work, but that was many years ago. I said, John, life's over. <laughs> and you would think, John. That like, so I had lunch the other day with our web designer and our one of our people, a guy I've known for many years, my friend Daiska. And we had a similar conversation to this, and he was talking about how he's observed that a number of our peers, so that would be people in our kind of age group, have either plateaued, are on the downslope, or they're just doing more and more interesting things. And it, he broke it into three categories. He said, you probably know people like this already, people that are coasting along, they're looking down the road, they're like, I got 10 more years, I got eight, I just got to make it to the finish line. So that's one Silo. He put people in. The other was, um, I'm I'm done learning what I want to learn. I I'm really done with all the like. So that was even less. That it was worse than plateauing. They're on they're on the downhill. And then there was a group of people in another silo who, constantly taking classes, learning new things, and he said he feels that, that ageism thing that we just talked about in corporate America and in the job world, um, or in the job you know getting jobs probably relates to those first two the plateau and the downhill but depending on your personality if you're a lifelong learner and you're engaged and you like solving problems and you and you share that with other people you're probably going to be fine what do you think yeah no as you were explaining that remind me a little bit of Aaron
2: McHugh who's been on the show a bunch as a you know, she'd worked in the publishing industry forever. And then she decided 15 years ago um, that she was going to write books and has written over 20. And she's into her mid-60s. And she just learned how to surf. You know, she <laughs> exactly. Wants to, and she's always constantly trying to, to something learn something new. or do something. I, I looked at this and I thought, I think the bigger issue here is for somebody. Um, I had talked to someone once about... Uh, what would you do next if this if this show didn't didn't continue or what would you do next? And you'd have to go get a job. And he said, you know, you'll get a job. He says, but it's not going to be the kind of job you used to have where you thought I'm going to be captain of industry. They said you still may have a great time, learn a lot, contribute, but you're going to have a different perception of it because yeah. of what you've done all the years previous. And so he said, once you get over that, that you're not going to be the next CEO of something if you happen to just go in at, at mid mid age. He said it. You, who knows where it will lead?
0: You might enjoy it. So doesn't that relate back to this peaking thing? Like, I agree with you that, it, that whatever our next—whatever most people's next chapters will be, if you unburden yourself from the notion of having to be a star or run mm-hmm. the company, life just changes. If, because you're like, wow, you know, I'm no, I don't have to be the the A-team player. I don't have to be the head of the group. But you could go off
2: and— Say you went off and you became a teacher somewhere yeah. or a professor, your adjunct great, professor, great and example. all of a sudden you're, you're teaching at a, a college here in New York and the students love you and you love teaching and lo and behold, uh, oh, John's, you know, outstanding faculty member here this yep. year or something. That's a great accomplishment. So and that could be something that's not expected but you worked at it and and here's another and pulled it off. another thing yeah. you're proud of. So I think that's where the hope part for me comes in and, and overall is if you don't have a dream or you don't have a a goal to say I want to do something um
0: you could get pretty stagnant. <laughs> and trust me this culture that we're in allows you to become pretty stagnant pretty yeah. easily. There's a lot of distractions that can easily keep you off the road of even developing a dream frankly and and a dream could be something super simple you can say like my my older sister just completed a whole course in flower arranging
2: yep i love this stuff did and you see the one she, yesterday yeah. it was her birthday
0: yesterday yeah and she's posts all these great pictures of her flower arranging abilities and she's had a, she's had a ball and it looks like she could work. At mean, a fl- <laughs> she could work at a florist. <laughs> I was thinking. I have a, a
2: friend of mine from college, who's um, I, I would say is probably more of a mentor. Um, retired surgeon, was on the on the staff at Harvard, and uh, taught there as well. But he was a heart surgeon, and he started painting. <laughs> and the painting is the Amazing. paintings are, are great. And it, it again. I mean, he might get excited by just saying, I'm going to have a little art show at the local craft mm-hmm. fair and sell all my artwork out, and that's
0: given me more joy than maybe something. It's like when your mom did her photography She exhibit. had the best time at that little opening. She had yeah. year a whole career as a teacher, right. two master's degrees. I don't know how many kids she taught and lives she changed, but that little gallery show meant the world that's, to her. And, I, and
2: that's what I think is important, to have those sort of, those sort of things. And, and so... Uh, that, that's my bigger takeaway from it. But I, I, I thought that was somewhat contradictory of life's not over, but don't, but but, don't. but it's over. <laughs> but chances are. It's, it's over. <laughs> over. So, hey, we want to remind, thank you for joining the focus group today. We, uh, we have a laundry list of things you need to do. Be careful tonight if you're watching for Halloween. Boo. You have to set your clocks back on Saturday. Fall back if you're in the 48 states that do that. I think mm-hmm. Arizona and Indiana don't move. Right. Move their clocks and uh, vote on Tuesday because we'll be talking about it next week. And next week, we have Aunt Barbara joining us. Ah, yes. Supperware Maven. Aunt Barbara will be back to here to uh, join us in the focus group. Thank you, John. Thank you, John and Garrett. Thanks to our friends at Deep Discount. And thanks to our friends at Volkswagen of America. Head over to VW.com and find the car that fits your passion or your desire. That's a little bit too goofy. Or if you've peaked. <laughs> if you peaked. Find the model that fits your it's personality written, yeah, you over go. at VW.com. Don't text and drive. Arrive Alive. And we'll see you next week.
1: <laughs> it's the Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.